0: Hi, I'm Scott, founder of Harriet Brown In-House Legal Recruitment. Welcome to my podcast, Lessons I Learned in Law. I myself am a recovering lawyer and on every episode I sit down for some therapy with uh, a guest from the, the legal community and ask them to talk me through their top three lessons that they've learned in their legal career. On each episode, I like to get to know something about my guests which other people might not necessarily know I have recovered from a, a bout of COVID that I picked up at one of the one of the games at the Euros the other week, and after that, I've had a little bit of a break from recording the podcast. Um, but I'm delighted today to be joined by Stephen Berry. Now, Stephen is Legal Director at Global Engineering and Construction Business, SNC-Lavalin. He's responsible for the European nuclear and power and aerospace, defence, security and technology businesses. He's got quite a lot on his plate. And for those that work in the construction engineering space, you might be familiar with Atkins, which was acquired by the Canadian headquartered SNC-Lavalin in 2017. Prior to his current role, Stephen qualified in private practice with speechily bingham so a big welcome to the podcast Stephen. it's great to have you join us
1: hi scott thank you very much for inviting me on the show
0: so if you've listened before you'll know that each week we Start the episode with a few facts about our guests that you might not be aware of. Stephen's a keen hiker, and he walked the north section of the West Highland Way just a couple of weeks ago. He told me off, Mike, actually, that he didn't actually make it up Ben Nevis because he twisted his ankle when he was leaving leaving the pub in Fort William the night before, uh, which sounds like it sounds like a lot of fun. One of his guilty pleasures during lockdown was to spend countless hours indulging his geekier side playing computer games. And number three, um, Stephen is co-chair of snc and staff LGBTQ network, Equilibrium, which he created a few years ago. There's so a lot to discuss there and a lot more on that later. But we're going to jump straight in to learn more about your life, Stephen, uh, via the three lessons that you've learned in law. So if you could tell me one of your earlier lessons that you've learned.
1: Yeah, sure. Thank you, Scott. So I guess maybe just starting at the beginning then. So um, one of the key lessons that I learned fairly early in my legal career was at the end of my training contract. Um, And really, I think the key message here is to be bold enough to pursue uh, the opportunities that are aligned with your career interests, uh, but also keep your eyes open remain flexible as well uh, and striking the balance can be hard especially during the the early stages of a legal career right and um, so as as you mentioned so i i trained at Speechly bircham i um, had a had a great training contract there it's a lovely firm to work for and um, but unfortunately uh, there were no nq roles available in my seats of choice uh, and those were at the time commercial litigation or property litigation and this really was uh, it was a result of the recession and um, Charles Speech Beachley's were no different to many other firms who had transferred um, some of their teams out into, into the regions uh, and these opportunities just weren't coming up in the job market. So I, I did take a bit of a gamble. Well, actually I wouldn't recommend someone takes quite as drastic a gamble as I did. I, I, I declined to remain at the firm when my training contract ended and find myself on the job market. Yeah, I was really lucky to, to discover an opportunity at Atkins where I am now. Um, and this was a mixed contentious and non-contentious role advising the energy business Mm -hmm. and yeah our our energy business at the time it was focused mostly on oil and gas that's not the case anymore for for obvious reasons Um, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for Um, Mm -hmm. but it had the potential to to fulfill sort of my interests so I I made this leap of faith Uh, it's probably worth mentioning as well Scott that I hadn't I didn't have any prior construction law experience, so I didn't sit in the construction team at CRS. So it was a bit of a blind leap of faith, if if anything. Um, But on paper, it had the potential to fulfill my interests. And actually, as as things panned out over the course of time, I, I genuinely preferred the non-contentious work that I was involved in. Um, I hope no potential recruiters are listening now, but I'm not necessarily the most organised of people. Right. Um, and, and you do have to be organised in order to be a litigator. Yeah. So i found myself doing more and more transactional work and I've found that incredibly enriching now to the point where um, I, I try not to meddle in disputes work if I can.
0: Right. Okay, cool. That sounds a bit of a sliding doors moment then in terms of opportunity that, that came up. Um, had you considered a move in-house up to that point or had it been something you had you had looked into much during your training contract?
1: So I I looked into it it was something that I would always have been interested in doing but I'll be honest I didn't think those opportunities were available for NQ solicitors there are very few in-house legal teams with the capacity to sort of run their own training contracts Um, and they do tend to recruit more senior lawyers in fact the role that I moved into I think originally they were looking for a, a slightly more qualified lawyer but i managed to convince them <laughs> to offer the role to me and um, I'm glad that I did it. Um, yeah. uh, as an in-house lawyer you get uh, an awesome amount of exposure to the business which you just you won't gain that whilst in private practice um, and yeah. although obviously the role is is a lot less technically focused.
0: And how did you go about positioning yourself and and finding that role?
1: So I I, I said to, to Atkins you know I, you can see from my CV that I haven't done a construction seat but i have done quite a bit of litigation and i had lots of transactional experience through the corporate finance work that i did at crs so i said you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm very interested in learning more um I, I, and and i truly was of the view at the time that as an nq and um, you do need to be open-minded you don't necessarily need to qualify into a seat that you practiced previously
0: from your side being in the position of, of hiring at Atkins since then do you, do you feel that person looked outside the box do you do you take that thought process when you're when you're hiring if you're looking at cvs
1: exactly that yes so the the latter um we we have lots of great construction lawyers um already at Atkins and um, but the world is changing technology is becoming more important intellectual property is becoming more important Um, and so if we just sort of recruited more and more construction lawyers um, that wouldn't necessarily help us fulfill the role that business needs us to Um, so I think that it's actually beneficial for a legal team to have uh, lawyers in the team from a variety of different backgrounds Good advice
0: on to lesson number two
1: yes yeah, sure so i'm um, I'm going to echo what one of your previous guests i think he R- rohan and um, talked about and it was he explained that it's really important for lawyers to be people too and to bring their personalities to work with them <clears throat> but i guess uh, i'd like to explore this a little bit more through the lgbt lens so i i do identify as a gay man and bringing yourself to work does pose additional challenges if you're lgbt because that means you're likely to have to come out of the closet well you will have to come out of the closet i think uh, in order to give sort of full disclosure to your colleagues. Yeah. Um, I have to echo what Rohan said in terms of, um, you know, uh, lawyers should bring their full personality to work. Um, it helps mm-hmm. to build relationships of trust where you can influence your your internal clients. Uh, and lawyers should be no different from the businesses. I could probably write pages about the senior management of the company. Um, mm-hmm. They have personalities too. They expect the lawyers to to be the same and these relationships aren't necessarily just going to be built when you're talking about contracts, bids, disputes. Uh, it's conversations around the water coolers. It's conversations during work, social events, that, that kind of thing. As an LGBT person, it, it, it can be difficult to have those conversations unless you are open about your sexuality. And I, and when I say open, I don't mean uh, parading around the office waving rainbow flags and, and, and dancing to Britney songs. I keep that strictly for the weekend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 exactly yes um but you know it's it, it's simple things that uh, i would say possibly non-lgbt people may not necessarily appreciate so the use of pronouns for example uh, yeah. when talking to your colleagues about what you're up to over the weekend if you aren't able to disclose the gender of the person you're spending your time with then you aren't able to refer to their names it does become a very difficult conversation to have Um, and if anybody doubts me i challenge you to spend five minutes talking to any of your work colleagues about what you did over the weekend without using a gender identifying pronoun where i'm referring to the person that you speak to can be very difficult and taxing
0: so, how did you decide to express your your own diversity or your sexual orientation at work? How did that How did that come around?
1: I guess maybe the first thing to say is 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 to mention the environment that I was in. So, I was incredibly lucky to join what already was on day one a diverse and inclusive legal team. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, we had a, a very good gender balance split. We had um, people from ethnic minorities. I, I ticked another box when I joined as a gay man people were openly having conversations about you know, the, the, the friends that they spent the weekends with, for example, and that created an environment where I didn't feel unsafe talking about what I was up to. Um, I didn't go up to somebody and say, oh, by the way, do you know that I'm gay? It just, it just happened to come out in conversation because somebody asked me what I've been up to at the weekend, and, and that was that. But really, the, the process of coming out, it's not something that you, you ever really finish as a gay person. So... There will be many other people in the organisation that I've since had conversations with, where I've sort of indirectly disclosed my sexuality to them as well.
0: Yeah. What advice would you give to people within an organisation like yours, and um, to encourage LGBT individuals to to express themselves? How can you receive that inf- that information or or be be open?
1: I guess there's there's two points really, and uh, the, the first issue is to explain the benefits of having a, an inclusive workplace mm-hmm. um so if an lgbt person remains in the closet it's it's personally damaging to them mm-hmm. um, It it can be distracting in the workplace mm-hmm. and it can have impact on your mental health and potentially impacts upon the relationships that you have with your colleagues as well and um, but from a company's perspective that that is not good um, you know, if a work environment does not seem inclusive, then you may not have the best LGB talent applying for the role in the first place. Um, when they are with the company, they may become less engaged. Um, the company could have difficulty retaining them as well. And then the, the whole issue with pronouns and remaining in the closet can actually have an effect on people's productivity. And, and ultimately that could affect a company's bottom line. So there are real sort of commercial imperatives for addressing this issue. And mm-hmm. um, and I guess in terms of how do you foster that that inclusive work environment, um, I would say firstly it has to come from the top down. I'm really really pleased to see to say that the senior management at snc um are on board with this. They now openly talk about the importance of diversity and inclusion, and um, they encourage those that report into them to do the same. Uh, and I was especially pleased this year when the company. Um, announced at the start of the year as part of our sort of uh, personal development review program that everybody was encouraged to have some sort of e-deny objective uh, and that could be something like you know just attending a webinar or a panel event run by one of the staff networks to raise your own personal awareness or for those that want to be more actively involved it could be working with hr on policies it could be participating in the organization of a network that mm-hmm. sort of thing so and, and that really did come from the management uh, and they, they they mean what they say when they talk about the importance of EDI. so they yeah. set they set the right example <clears throat> but they yeah. also are responsible for making sure that um that disseminates across the organization and that it results in real cultural change
0: what was your view on the construction or engineering industry prior to joining atkins from from that side because I, I guess People's view might uh, tend to be that it's a traditional industry, white men, perhaps boys' club mentality in construction. Was that quickly put down from your side?
1: I guess maybe the first thing to say is when when I applied for the job, that didn't really factor into my consideration. You know, I wasn't concerned that I was moving into a sector that was perhaps going to be you know have that laddier, <laughs> possibly more yeah. chauvinistic culture. Um, mm-hmm but i i i did notice very quickly that uh, at the time certainly the company's definition of diversity was limited to gender balance and mm-hmm. there was no discussion around the inclusion of other minority groups within the organization mm-hmm. um, and if you compare engineering to other professions including the, the law and um, we were really quite far behind really only at the beginning of our edi journey um so that that was a little disappointing um But at the same time, you know, I joined an organization with something like 50,000 staff, all of whom are very highly educated with, you know, great, great leadership teams. And as I I mentioned earlier, the the, the legal team in particular was quite diverse. So I could see that the framework was there uh, for improvement. Mm -hmm. And we just had to get the ball rolling.
0: Keen to hear more about that and the, the the network that you've you've been responsible for for creating as well and been been heavily involved in just take a quick break from the from the lessons however and, and come back to your um the the facts about about you that we shared at the start so a keen hiker and the west highland way a few weeks ago how was that
1: oh it's spectacular yeah it was it was an it was an awesome holiday um i'm very sad that i haven't done something like that earlier so we, we we only walked for five days along the West Highland Way. Uh, with a, uh, we, we managed to have a few little little excursions up mountains as well along the way. Uh, clocked up 165 kilometres without a single injury, including blisters, until the very penultimate evening before the grand finale. That was uh, Ben Nevis, and I'd had a had a lovely dinner uh, in a pub just off the uh, the key at Fort William and I managed to twist my ankle on, on, on the way out. So there's certainly a, a safety moment there and a lesson learned from me that you need to be on your guard at all <laughs> yeah. times when you're on holidays, especially if you've had a glass of wine or two. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. Yep. Um, oh, well, hope it didn't. I uh, hope it wasn't too much of a, a cloud over the rest of the holiday. It sounded, sounded good. I think it's one of the uh, one of the nicer things that has come out of COVID to appreciate what's what's on our doorstep and been able to... Or, or forced or being able to explore the uk a bit more um so so yeah sounds sounds great
1: yeah it it, it does pain me that i didn't make it up ben nevis though so um i, I am tempted to get the caledonian sleeper up there one day <laughs> yeah go up yeah. the top of the mountain and come down later in the day just so i yeah. can tick it off the bucket list
0: yeah oh well good excuse to go back it's a nice like you said it's a nice uh nice part of the world um and then during uh, during lockdown, being uh, you know, I gather you're a bit of a gamer.
1: Uh, I've certainly become one. You know, I'm not I'm not going to pretend that I'd never played a computer game before. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I, and as a single Pringle, I've been left to my own devices for quite a lot of time. so I've racked up a few a few, a few hours dismembering people on medieval battlefields and staring <laughs> down the, the scope of an AK forty seven.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> good. Do you get
0: fully into it with the headset on and
1: Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah. I've got all the equipment.
0: Yeah, good. Um it's it's crazy how gaming, the like esports and online gaming, the amount of money there is. It's a it's a thing that's passed me by a little bit, but yeah, seems like, like they're giving out scholarships and things in the US for for gamers and obviously Twitch is a massive platform for for people actually paying to watch people play games, which uh, yeah. yeah, it's pretty it's, pretty nuts. It's,
1: it's certainly hugely ballooned as well um, over the last year in terms of the take-up across the UK and, and globally, I think. So you can't get a PlayStation 5 for love nor money these days because everybody wants a PlayStation 5 and there's a a huge issue with the supply chain for sort of high-end PC components as well. Um, I think it's driven by a perfect storm of a pandemic, the Brexit vote and people being stuck at home with nothing else to do. Unless you've got kids, of course, but I'm I'm child-free at the moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, good distraction from work, something to switch off and relax. Back to your lessons. What's your your final final lesson, Stephen?
1: So it's uh, it, it leads on quite nicely from uh, where we left the discussion. So it's really to be prepared to take action if you think there's room for improvement <clears throat> within an organisation. So. Um, as I said earlier, when I, when I joined Atkins, it was a little disappointing to see that the engineering industry at large, and I'm, I'm not criticising Atkins in any means, it, this, this, this was a problem across the sector, um, wasn't really there uh, in terms of Edi, And I didn't really set my sights particularly high the first time I gave feedback to the company. I think I joined a sort of a panel focus group about the staff canteen. Um, it eventually managed to look at things that were far more serious, and, and that was Edi and i and really, I was—I I benefited from the company's growing interest at the time. Um, there are a couple of senior lawyers within the the UK legal team who were vocal at the board about the lack of diversity within the business, and who gave me the platform to speak up. I also happened to bump into uh, my colleague Neil, who's the co-chair of Equilibrium. Uh, we worked together on a project, and when that. Came to a conclusion. We only then sort of moved on to the, the topic of sexual orientation. We only came out to each other at the end of the project. Um, and I, at that point, you know, I found, I'd found somebody that was keen to do more as well. He was asking, you know, why don't we have an LGBT network? Why do we only ever talk about gender balance within this company? And yeah, what well, one thing led to another, um, the company decided that it would actually be a great thing if we had staff networks representing minority groups. Um, and in doing so, they said that we do not want to create these networks from the top down and to force them on our staff. There has to be sort of a grassroots interest in setting these up. And I just took that as an invitation to start doing more.
0: What sort of initiatives has it been in, involved in and been behind within the within the business?
1: So we've, we've, we've grown um, from strength to strength over the last year. Obviously, things changed a little bit because of the pandemic. Over the course of the last 12 months or so. Um, but we've we've helped the, the company to come to policy positions on certain issues. And um, we drafted um, in collaboration with Stonewall, uh, the LGBTQ rights charity and our HR team, a new policy uh, addressing transgender um, and also transitioning at work. Um, we've hosted a number of webinars and panel events either by ourselves or in collaboration with clients or peer organizations or indeed other staff networks within the company <clears throat> addressing points of interest things like um uh, the right to adopt so we, we recently worked with that parents network uh on a webinar about uh, it, it was focused on demystifying adoption and giving advice to not only potential adoptive parents from the organization but also the managers and colleagues of adoptive parents so they can understand how to better support their colleagues going through that process we've looked at things like if you're an adult and your child's exploring their sexual orientation or their gender identity what do you do about it here's a guidebook and um, we recently hosted a, a joint event with Atkins bame network on LGBT refugees and the black pride uh, events that are taking place at the moment and uh, and on that note we've marched at a number of pride parades across across the country so it's a real sort of um, spread of activity some of it's very serious it's policy some of it's very fun it's just having drinks in a pub and getting to know your colleagues a bit better
0: for someone in that position looking to drive change or improvement within your organization either from from um, a diversity and inclusion and inequality standpoint or, or, or elsewhere. What advice do you have for them for having the confidence or feeling empowered to call out that room for improvement?
1: I guess maybe the, the, the first thing to say is so that you know this is a this is a podcast for lawyers and um, we are advisors and advocates so we should be prepared to speak up when we can and mm. in many cases we're actually going to be the best place people within an organization, within an organization to do so. So don't be afraid to do that. Um, yeah. But but in order to sort of give your message the greatest chances of landing well, um, I would recommend adopting the language of senior management and mapping your agenda against their interests. So um, as an example, I, I did talk earlier about the impacts of being in the closet and the impact that has on an LGBT person's uh, uh sort of engagement in the workplace their productivity their chances of being retained by a company and you know no no management wants staff leaving and having to recruit new staff they also want to recruit from the the broadest range of potential talent so it's important to have a good offering on ed and either and there's a there's a wealth of information and content out there to help any LGBT person trying to push this in the workplace. So McKinsey published a report not too long ago that identified a very clear link between the racial diversity of uh, large, company management organi- large company management teams and the company's financial performance. Um, the Construction News magazine, uh, which people in the sector may be familiar with, carries out an annual survey of the sector, um, and they they pick up on concerns around pre- career progression, coming out at work, the impact that it has on the mental health of people in the construction industry, that provided some very helpful collateral to share with management. We've also collected information from our own staff, so we, we do understand uh, where the touch points lie and, and if you build that picture for management, it's very difficult for them to say no.
0: Oh, so those are great, great tips and I think um yeah the point you made about being a, being a lawyer and and being the person that should be calling these things out is something everyone should everyone should take something from. Has there been any setbacks to ideas that you've proposed or if if you did have any how would you handle them
1: um I guess maybe so in, in terms of what you know what what, what are the key lessons that we've learned? I would say uh Maybe at the beginning we weren't using the resources that were available to us to, to convince management. So, uh, you know, the collateral in the construction news, the McKinsey reports, that sort of thing. Uh, we were approaching this very much from a, you know, EDI is the right thing to do, uh, but we didn't have those statistics to back up our request, so we couldn't mm-hmm. either demonstrate how change would benefit the company, how it would benefit individuals.
0: I'm I'm personally on a journey on on EDI and learning about learning about all of the issues that should be apparent, but it's it's through conversations like this that that I'm I'm educating myself slowly but surely. But obviously, the legal profession has 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 arguably a long way to go. What what do you think are the the main challenges in the legal profession from a from an EDI perspective?
1: I would say the most common challenge that I encounter, and it's not specific to legal, um, it really is that most people in the country are still only really starting their EDI journey, try, 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 and and they are trying to better understand the issues. Uh, that people have a lots of concerns about sort of wrong footing somebody else by asking a question in the wrong way, um by not using exactly the right language, and I can fully understand why people would have those concerns. I, I, you know, I make mistakes as well. Um, that concern shouldn't stop people from having a conversation in the first place and i really do think that it is incumbent upon a person from a minority group to accept that people will make those mistakes when having a conversation around edi and i and be ready to you know politely correct somebody but recognize that what they were saying was well meant i think that's that's really helpful from
0: from my side and from others i think that i've i've spoken with I I've certainly grown in confidence in talking about it but it's certainly something I've I've felt conscious conscious of so um but yeah, we only we can only we can only do that by and address issues by being being aware of them, and that's through having having conversations. So, really Thanks appreciate God. you sharing those insights with me and with 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 um, with those listening. That brings us to an end of the the, the podcast, Stephen. That was uh, that, that that flew flew by. Um, but thank you for thank you for joining me today. It's been good getting to know you a bit more and hearing hearing more about your your lessons. So, thank you for sharing those with us.
1: You too, Scott. Thank you so much. I really appreciate having the platform to, to share this with you.
0: Thank you for listening to Lessons I Learned in Law. As always, if there's a subject or, or someone that you'd like to hear more about on the podcast, then please, please get in touch. And um, you can contact us at hello at Harriet Brown or connect or drop me a line on LinkedIn. If you've enjoyed listening, please rate, subscribe and review the podcast. And if you'd like to find more about Harriet Brown, head over to HarrietBrown.com. But until next time, I'm Scott. Thanks for listening.